0: Let's not ask any questions. Let's not talk about anything of note. Let's make Collider regret this.
1: Uh, Yeah, I think find people to blame. Let's blame my parents.
0: I'm going to ask what I think is a terrible question. Uh, I've been asked this many times before, and I always am uh, somewhat angry. That question that I'm sure you've gotten a thousand times, where do your ideas come from?
1: Well, they come from all over the place. Like some historical thing I read about. There's so many sources, it's kind of endless. But
0: what about you? Well, I mean, uh, the thing that I've noticed over the years is that the main source of my ideas is me being disappointed in something. I also have a little bit of ADHD, so when I see scenes Sometimes my brain will go, the scene should go here and then this should happen and then this should happen and then this should happen. And I'll realize that like five minutes of a movie has passed and I'm not even really paying attention to what's happening. I'm just working out some new version. I did this project called Oblivion Song and the basis for that was I heard somebody lamenting the fact that Jack Kirby had never had like a substantial run on Batman. And I was thinking, you know, I wonder what Jack Kirby would do. If he had done, you know, a solid run on Batman, you know, he'd probably incorporate some new God stuff and you'd probably have Batman using all kinds of crazy technology and he'd give him all kinds of different gear. And the basis of that eventually spiraled into this project oblivion song that I do. That's about this guy that, you know, runs around on rooftops with a cape. It all came from someone saying, Hey, well, why didn't Jack Kirby do some Batman? That would have been cool.
1: You know, people have been bugging me to, to, uh, to do something with Batman. And I, and I, uh, Woke up one day and, and realized I was twenty-nine, which meant that I was about to turn older than Batman and just kind of told myself, I will not let this happen. And so I made him the impossibly distant age of fifty and, and turned that into darkness.
0: I think you would agree that Batman kind of lives in the shadow of Frank Miller now. It's <laughs> it's it's kind of a it's it's it's, it's you know it's a never ending write that down, you know. <laughs> May we quote you on that? Sure, please do. There's there's Batman before Frank Miller and Batman after, and I think that you introduced the concept of this grim and gritty and scary Dark night that you know still prevails to this day. And I think that's why we're never going to get a Batman movie that doesn't have a guy in a jet black rubber suit uh, uh, speaking with a scary gravelly voice. I feel like that's not necessarily what your intent was, but I think that's how other people you know pull that through. Does he have to have fake muscles? i think that a batman doesn't work unless he has uh fake abs molded into his chest piece i think that that is the really the the thing that really strikes fear into the heart of uh, of evildoers but uh this isn't a question i just wanted to challenge you frank miller to doing at least one more batman project where uh-huh. you bring back dick Sprang inspired brightly colored gags athletic Batman, just to show people, hey, look guys, there's still more to be done with Batman. You don't always have to be doing this.
1: I would love to do the Rainbow Batman.
0: No, 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 not Rainbow Batman. Nobody likes Rainbow Batman. Uh, The other cool, no, I'm kidding.
1: Mr. Picky, 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 I mean, excuse me. No, but Zebra Batman's okay, right?
0: Zebra Batman is great. That's on point. Rainbow Batman, I think, is a bridge too far. Watch it! You're bouncing around too much! It's all right. Stretcher's gyro-stabilized. Cool. What is this thing? Dick called it the Batmobile. You're a writer-artist. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to get a little bit of information on, like, what is your process of tackling a story? Like, is it, is it all purely visual? Do you actually write scripts for yourselves? I know a lot of people that are writer-artists that don't. Like, how, how do you handle that aspect of the work?
1: Putting together the story, I do very much as as any writer would. I jot down notes and the scenes we'd like to see. Mostly I work on the spine of the story itself. But as I do that, I'll, I'll, I'll just draw a line off the, you know, the central notes and, and make a few notes of, of something in particular I know that could be drawn from that that would be really juicy. But I, I have... The story outline before I draw anything. But then I tend to start drawing and you know, blocking in each scene and and working out the dynamics of, 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 of what's going on. However, I will interrupt that when it breaks into dialogue. When it's a dialogue scene, the words are in command. Yeah. And and the and the characters are are responding to or projecting the words. Um, but here I'm very very, uh, you know, curious about what your approach is.
0: I wanted to be a comic book artist, so I, I, uh, you know, I do a little bit of doodling here and there. Uh, I very quickly realized that I don't have the patience and don't have the talent to uh, handle that side. I try to build exciting scenes because uh, I think that the worst thing you can do as a writer is give an artist boring things to draw.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. It
0: just it's it's this it's high crimes in the comics world. It's a crime to the reader. It's a crime to everybody. If you can't take a talking head scene that is five pages and squeeze it down to one or two, what are you doing? What are you doing? Uh, and if you're an artist out there that's watching this and you get a five page talking head scene, by all means, just cram that into two or three pages. Like no one cares. Your writer might be mad for like a day, but then when the book comes out, and people are saying they like it and he's taking all the credit for it. It's fine. Uh, they'll be happy in the end but yeah I try to build exciting scenes and then I uh, uh, I just try to like kind of come up with tethers to pull those into a story so sometimes I'll sit down to write an issue and I'll just be like I don't know this guy uh, gets a knife shoved through his head and he falls into a building and explodes let's make that work yeah you know and I try to figure out a way to get to that point I like to think of myself as a, uh, a disgruntled artist that is uh, uh, writing as like a uh, consolation prize for what I wanted to do.
1: <laughs> You're in good company there because, of course, the classic one of all time is Harvey Kurtzman. Beyond that, Archie Goodwin and Jim Shooter at Marvel Comics, they'd all lay out the stories that they, that they were writing.
0: Well, can we can we wrap this interview up now? I'm getting compared to Archie Goodwin and... Uh, Harvey Kurtzman and Jim Shooter. I think I think we're done here. That's that's enough for me. Remember me. I think the way that you have taken the characters of Batman and Daredevil and uh, fundamentally changed them into your own vision in a way that really kind of set the stage for everything that came after. I think is. Uh, uh, Again, you know, something more people should be striving to do, and is just, you know, absolutely amazing and impressive thing. I'm not going to apologize for this compliment, but uh, um, you sit down to take over Daredevil, for example. Yeah. Like, what's in your head? Like, how do you look at that landscape and go, okay, we need an Electra. I'm going to take Bullseye and turn him into somebody who's actually serious and deadly. Like, how do you nuts and bolts just kind of jump in and go, okay, this needs to happen and this needs to happen? Like, what, what's the thought process there?
1: When I was 24 years old, the thought process was, oh my God, I get to do a multi-comic book and I meet the deadlines. The first thing I thought was, I'm going to turn this into a crime comic because I had decided my mission was to bring back the crime comic, the one that wasn't involved in mythology. So I brought back a kind of a cartoon underworld and just stole from Will Eisner shamelessly. And, 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 uh, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, eventually when I got the writing end of it, you know, brought in Electra and turned it into a gothic romance. That was when I decided it was going to be one big long story. That one was a real epic journey for me. Uh, Dark Knight was much more consciously a uh, novel because I had started it as actually a much, much darker book than it turned out to be. There was no Robin in it or any or anything, and it was much more of a, a kind of a grim Batman comes back and he's, he's a little too berserk for the world and, and basically wound up getting gotten killed by cops. But as I was working on it, the character, particularly Batman, just started talking back on me, and, and I think mainly because, because I introduced the, the Carrie Kelly character. With her around, all of a sudden, he had a reason to be alive. It was like opening a suitcase. Superman came in. Because originally Superman wasn't made, and it has what I believe is a very affirmative ending. He has gone from talking about the best death he could have to a good life. That changed pretty radically when you were starting with walking dead uh-huh i'm throwing your own question back at you sure how'd you come up with it
0: uh yeah i mean again uh going back to you know the comment about where my ideas come from it was uh i was watching the romero movies the original trilogy what was the first you did uh night of the living dead
1: night of the living dead i saw that when i was when i was a little kid well i no, when i was quite young
0: Night of the Living Dead was in the public domain. And so late at night on this broadcast channel, they would just play Night of the Living Dead. And so I actually got to see it on TV with commercials for the, like in the middle of the night one time for the first time. Uh, So that was my first experience with it. But, uh, um, you know, I I was, uh, uh, you know, watching Dawn of the Dead and uh, Day of the Dead. And both of those movies end with characters uh, getting into helicopters and flying off, never to be seen again. And I was like, The only thing I want more from this movie is to see what happens to these people. Next. Um, Every one of the Romero movies featured a completely different cast and there was a time progression so if the world was a character in those movies you got to see a little bit more of the world progress through time but you never got to really follow those characters i i I wish these romero movies would never end but that's not a thing that's going to happen so i'm going to do the zombie movie that never ends and and that'll be walking dead of course i did this at a time when every comic book i've ever done had been canceled after like five or six issues so it was uh uh, you know, quite foolish of me to set out on a, on a project that would last a long time, uh, not having ever done that before.
1: Wonderful story. Oh,
0: <laughs> thank you, Frank. After all that, after me trying to blow your head off, stab your heart out happily ever after together.
1: You can kill me, I couldn't kill you, I'll take that as a sign.
0: Hard Boiled is one of my favorite projects that you've ever done.
1: Thank you. This may sound laughable to you, but that was a real challenge as a writer. See, he laughs.
0: Well, no, no. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. It kind of, you know, like you give uh, Jeff a script and he's like, okay, I'm going to do 17,000 different things with this that you didn't necessarily expect. And then you get the pages back and you have to go, well, I have to make this make sense. Like, is that is that basically the process or am I uh, talking out of school?
1: Yeah, yeah, more or less. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, I had, I had originally written him a real short story in the vein of Harlan Allison very bleak, scary, futuristic story, and the artwork came back. And now Jeff, he's an absurdist. And, and, and uh, this stuff just gorges out of him, this unbelievable artwork. And I thought, what am I gonna do? If I use the script that I had written, it's just gonna be the most overdone, tedious thing in the world. I was sitting there with that unbelievable first page where he's just blown to pieces and he's holding his guns, you know, Nixon is. And my breakthrough was the opening line, which is just come and get it, you bum. You know, there's no like Stan Lee, big captions or anything around, but that set the tone for how I collaborated with him on that book. I got him back on Big Guy because there I just loaded on the words with a shovel
0: just to, you know, (laughs) just to show him you told him um no i think uh, hard-boiled is i guess a, a really great lesson again for comic book writers out there like know when to get out of the way oh like, yeah uh, uh yeah. when your guy's going crazy just stand back and enjoy it
1: well also also let uh, allow yourself to be in this case the silent partner let him take center stage and he's the show
0: like what do you look for when you're going to be writing a book for someone else
1: it's always because I, I, I really you know, like their work a lot. Jeff Darrow comes to mind, but the sort of Bill cabbage one of the most extraordinary talents I've ever encountered. But with David Mazzucchelli, I was coming back to the Daredevil book, and I really liked the work he was doing on, on it already. And he and I got into an exploration together. He was really at the very beginnings of, of what he, he would have to offer. Just the leap be, with him between the Daredevil work we did and... Batman Year One, was extraordinary. The best collaborations for me are the ones where we come in, we have a very good time, and we both walk away from it enriched, having learned from each other. Uh Um, Sienkiewicz, for instance, he taught me to lose some fears that I didn't even know I had. He's so brilliant that he takes it in as soon as he sees it, but he always has his eyes open. And he's very acutely aware what's going on in the illustration field, what's going on in film and everywhere else. And, and Sienkiewicz is also highly intelligent. So he's processing it super fast. And, and on top of that, he's, the, the thing that I cannot imitate is that he's, he's got the most unnatural drawing skill you could ever.
0: <laughs> yeah, that yeah.
1: helps. You should see the sketches, man, I'm telling you.
0: I've seen some. He did some uh, Walking Dead covers for us.
1: Ah, great! He was
0: sending us design sketches and things, and it was just like, uh, can we stop now? This stuff is amazing.
1: But meanwhile, also I, I mentioned Dave Gibbons here too, because what you've got is is really an overwhelming intelligence and and a, and a capability to to organize space and to deliver the most ridiculous idea in the world with a straight face. The Martha Washington series got more and more ridiculous the more Dave and I collaborated. All of a sudden, these phallic laser cannons pointed, pointed <laughs> at, um, at planet Earth. I knew he could pull them off without even a smile, and and uh, and it would work.
0: Not mine, man. Where
1: is it made?
0: Not mine, man. I told you, I'm clean. Ow! I do wanna ask you a little bit a, a little bit about Hollywood just because I've had some fun experiences in Hollywood and I know you've had some fun experiences in Hollywood. There's no other kind of app. Yeah, exactly. What was your first experience? I know you were invited to write the RoboCop movies, but like, is there any fun anecdotes about like on the set of RoboCop or any anything where you were just like, what in the hell is going on?
1: It was one of the wildest adventures I ever had because
0: I had no idea what the hell I
1: was doing coming in. When I sat down with John Davison, the producer, I watched the Robocop movie, and then I watched a bunch of other movies, and I, and I, just, I just went wild coming up with my stories. And I, I came up with some of the most unproducible stuff you've ever seen. It was really a learning process. I, I, I came in with, with just a, a gigantic amount of material I was inspired by the first movie because I thought there was stuff in it that was really marvelous. But mostly I was just in a new world. Thought I could get away with anything. Found out that I couldn't. And, and uh, I kept trying to pull it back to my original script as it was, as it was being pulled in a different direction. And, and I was the most tenacious little son of a bitch in the world. And, you know, that, that, that I, I would not let go to the last cut all through it I thought we were gonna win an Oscar for the damn thing, you know? And it's and it's a, uh, but it was I, I can only look back on it with absolute fondness because it, you know it's just an amazing education and, and it, it was a rejuvenation for me to 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 really uh, go back to boot camp. Okay, now I gotta to ask to throw that one back at you.
0: Oh gosh. Um No, I don't know. I mean, I've I've definitely been on on The Walking Dead set many times being explained to, like, why I'm only getting 200 zombies instead of 4,000 zombies, Uh, you know, like I, and I, and I've, you know, I was very much a novice when I started writing on the, on the show. And so it was, you know, tons of production meetings where they would sit there with my scripts going, why did they let this get this far? This is never getting shot you cannot do this. Like we're, we have to shoot these episodes in eight days. Like this is, you know, not going to work. It's a frustrating thing because then you have to go back and go, okay, well, I guess I have to write what is in my opinion, a lesser version. What you realize as you get a little bit more accustomed to it is that the production people know that what you're trying to do is going to be terrible because you're, you're trying to eat uh, an entire pizza as opposed to, you know, eating, a, eating, a, eating a slice, which you'll actually enjoy. Uh, And so they're actually kind of protecting you from yourself, which is a fun thing to uh, learn after four seasons. took me four seasons.
1: With a feature, you're dealing with such a fixed unit. With a series, I've seen the difference, and it's so much more fluid.
0: Yeah, Cursed. Uh, That's the one you're talking about, right? Yeah. The show was great. I am a firm believer that too many movies look exactly the same and that modern movie making could use a little bit of a kick in the pants. I think The Spirit was a spectacular movie that you did an amazing job oh, on. You. Do you think you will ever direct another movie?
1: Um, only if I get the opportunity.
0: That's something that you would enjoy? You'd be open to doing it again?
1: With the information and experience that, you know, that I've gathered, um, I'd, I'd, uh, I, I know that I'd enjoy it on top of welcoming the challenge.
0: Personally, I have seen in other interviews, you mentioned that you have another Sun City thing cooking that is possibly a Western. Is that thing still cooking? Can I expect that soon?
1: You can't expect it soon, but it's cooking.
0: All right. That's, that's like 50% of the answer I wanted. I'll take it.
1: All right. That's all you get, man.
0: Was this as much fun for you as it was for me? That was a lot of fun. Are we best friends now? Can we get on the phone and talk sometime? Absolutely. All right. I think that sounded accurate, but uh, okay. Maybe he was being honest. All right. Well, thanks so much for doing this, man. What you just said. Maybe I, said you were- I said, I said, I, I said, I, I, there seemed to be some honesty there. I'll take it. Oh, okay.
1: Well, bud, this man has been hurt. He's been hurt. I tell you.
0: I think it shows in my work, Frank. <laughs> <laughs>